0: Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm speaking with Rachel Fine. And Rachel is the founder of To The Point Nutrition, which provides top quality nutrition counseling to a vast audience from student and professional dancers and adult fitness enthusiasts to prenatal women, new moms, and older adults. With a master's degree in clinical nutrition and diet- dietetics, is that right, Rachel? from New York University, Rachel completed her dietetic residency at NYU Langone Medical Center and at the Mount Sinai Hospital. After receiving licensure and certification, Rachel joined the staff at NYU Langone Medical Center as a clinical dietitian and worked as NYU's clinical adjunct co-instructor for medical nutrition therapy. Mm-hmm. Rachel's experience among populations in the performing arts stems further as she has been involved in research at NYU's Langone, um, NYU Langone's Harkness Center for Dance Injuries, and currently holds the position as adjunct professor of sports nutrition at Long Island University, LIU Post. Aside from her work at To The Point Nutrition, Rachel serves as a leading dietitian for Lucy, providing prenatal and postnatal nutrition, nutrition counseling to families. Um, from pregnancy through early parenthood. Additionally, Rachel is an expert in nutrition for Emblem Health Insurance, providing group-based classes for older adults across the New York area. And not included in her bio is also the fact that Rachel is a passionate dancer herself. Um, She also has a new training course, um, which I can tell you more about at the end for dancers. Mm -hmm. And um, she just authored an article for Dance Magazine, which... um, is right on target with what we're going to be speaking about today, and that article is titled When Does Healthy Become Too Healthy? Five Warning Signs of Orthorexia. So um, Rachel is participating in our um, intensive on eating disorders for Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and we're talking a little bit about behaviors that aren't disordered but shall we call them, eating disordered adjacent, Rachel?
1: You know what? So so I refer to it as disordered eating behaviors. Uh, you know, the – I don't want to say old school, but – not old school, but the, uh, the official, I would say, definition of eating disorders is very clearly outlined in the medical literature. And what we're seeing, you know, I would say – at least with the growth in the past decade, at least is the onset of these disordered eating behaviors, which in my opinion is skyrocketing uh, simply because of mass information with the internet and of course, social media. So really what I have been seeing in my private practice is this surge of like I said, disordered eating behaviors, which basically means these dancers are coming, never have been diagnosed with an official eating disorder such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia, uh, binge eating disorder, all of these that really do have those clear defined uh, diagnoses. Rather, they're coming to me with what I like to define as diagnosed eating behaviors simply because there is some level of restriction, causing these restrict, restrictive eating behaviors to impede in other aspects of their life. Um, Specifically, let's say their social life is, mm-hmm. is a really good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while these dancers have not yet... or or perhaps don't even present with the official diagnostic criteria for, uh, diagnosed eating disorders, like I said before, but are still coming with some major level of restrictive rigidity in their eating behaviors. That's really impacting and impeding their ability to, uh, the main one that I really like to touch on is socialize. Mm
0: -hmm, mm Uh, yeah. I think, you know, I see this Everywhere and I'm sure mm-hmm. I am not alike mm-hmm. um, not alone, yeah. excuse me. So um, let's start with something that sounds simple, but might be very complicated, um, which is, can you explain what a healthy, functional relationship to food and body image looks like or feel like, feels like?
1: This is a really good question and it's actually something that I love asking both in the beginning and at the end of the of my course um, and just working with private clients. Uh, how do we define a healthy diet? I have to be quite honest with you. Is there a definition of a healthy diet, even medical professionals? I mean, there is such a mass information out there of Mm -hmm. what people, of how people define a healthy diet. So in the most general terms that, and I say this again, when I work with clients and in my course, I say a healthy diet is one where we can enjoy salads But we can also enjoy chocolate cookies, chocolate chip cookies, without any guilt Mm -hmm. surrounding that. So I don't necessarily know if that's the end all definition of a healthy diet, because there's just so many different layers that we can peel back of this. Uh, But it is just one simple aspect that I like to introduce to those who I work with in terms of, you know, ask yourself, a healthy diet is one, sure, that gets in all that all that nutritious food, all of those minimally processed plant-based sources, but also is able to enjoy ones, I like to call them uh, just favorite, in- I don't like to use the word indulgence, believe it or not, uh, like just favorite
0: enjoyment, favorite mm-hmm, love. Experiences, yeah. <laughs> yeah, favorite experiences,
1: yeah. you know, whether that's a homemade chocolate chip cookie, or maybe that's a Chips Ahoy ultra-processed <laughs> cookie. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a famous Amos with partially hydrogenated <laughs> oils in it, okay? Um, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's finding this balance of being able to still in, ha- have those foods without this restrictive and guilt-ridden, I call it the cycle of unfair expectations. And we can talk about that a little bit later, but just having, not having this cycle of guilt.
0: Mm -hmm. Or even, would you expand that to say like even emotional repercussions, like without having, yeah. And I think that that's, we'll talk about it more, but I think that that's something that the mass media is discouraging right now. Like we're we're not, we're supposed to feel guilty or bad or da, da, da. You know, it's this idea that we can just eat and it doesn't have to have an emotional repercussion.
1: Oh yeah. I love, I love that you, yeah, you're mentioning that because, um, you know, it's a very interesting time in the nutrition world right now, uh, because we have two extremely polarized outlooks on what a healthy diet is. And one end of the spectrum is, diet culture and when i say diet culture i refer to any type of restrictive behavior okay any type of of restriction whether unless it's for a medical reason so Mm -hmm. if someone's avoiding dairy because they have a true lactose intolerance sure that's understandable Uh, but if we're avoiding dairy because we think that it's going to make us break out or we think that it's uh just unhealthy, or should we say, quote unquote, bad, then we're feeding into what's called diet culture. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, we have the idea of intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful, truly wonderful uh, mindset to have when it comes to food. But I will tell you that what I found in my work dancers and even with myself as a dancer and honestly as a busy millennial who is constantly multitasking what I have found is that it's it's very difficult sometimes to also rely on our intuition solely because we are a generation of just countless Google tabs up open in our mind 24-7 so so we're busy we're busy and especially now when we're talking about dancers who are balancing whether they're balancing school and dance school, whether they're balancing their uh, company classes with rehearsals, they're really busy. So to to have the time in a day to really sit back and think about whether they're hungry or not, sometimes we can't go by this because dancers, uh, they need to realize that they're athletes and they need to get a lot in throughout the day. When I say that, I, I mean calories. They need mm-hmm. to get a lot of nutrition in throughout the day. And that's where I, in my work, I kind of land uh, somewhat in the middle, but closer to the intuitive eating side of the spectrum of, of what is a healthy diet. Because, when, because for dancers specifically with our busy schedules, we do need some bit of planning in our day just to make sure that we're hitting those minimum target goals.
0: Interesting. So you're, that's, you're establishing a continuum from sort of planned eating to intuitive eating where Correct. yeah, planned eating is saying, Well I know I have to get this and that in, so I'm gonna pack this bar and I need to have this for lunch and that for Correct. dinner. Yes. And then yes. intuitive eating is more like hmm, I'm hungry. What am I hungry for? Mm, yeah, I yeah, need some which protein or yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I will be honest with you, intuitive eating is is there's a lot more than that, and I do want to make note because the book is truly remarkable, and I always recommend it uh, to act, to look into the idea of intuitive eating. Because I don't, it's it's not that I don't, I, I'm not giving it enough justice. Put it that way. I I don't feel like I'm giving into the the idea of intuitive eating enough justice right now. Um, all I'm saying is that for extremely busy. Uh, athletes, extremely busy athletes who who really do require so much more, uh, and who again are immersed in a body conscious sport, I I believe are more prone to uh, turning off that intuition mm-hmm. of whether of, mm-hmm. of whether they're hungry or not. So it's, it's so the idea of intuitive eating is an optimal goal that I would. Love for us all to strive for, but it sometimes can just be a little bit too impractical when we're um, when we're again trying to just meet these minimum target goals. That I can't really rely on, mm-hmm. <laughs> rely on someone's uh, in ability to feel hunger, hunger and fullness. One thing that I do practice that I love about intuitive eating, though, is honoring cravings and honoring your loves, you know, really finding the satisfaction of food. And the biggest example, and I don't want to, I don't want to veer too much. So you can Uh, get me back back on track if you want but the biggest example I have for this is cauliflower pizza and cauliflower rice and I make it extremely clear to my clients that cauliflower rice is not rice Mm -hmm. it's a vegetable if you want to have cauliflower but you want it in the form of a rice sure but you still need your complex car for that meal (laughs) so i sure if that makes any sense but what i'm trying to say is if you're craving pizza have the real deal if you're craving rice you know honor that that's the best way that you're going to satisfy yourself
0: that's great um and did you mention there is there's a book about intuitive eating that you recommend
1: yes so there's several books i'll be honest the main book is going to be intuitive eating which is written by evelyn tribole and elise retch okay um This book, however, is not for your average 14 or 15 year old dancer. There's some some other books out there that I'm not so familiar with, but I want to say one is called Nourish. Uh, We can perhaps look into that
0: after, but uh,
1: yeah, so, but for the, for the dance medicine professionals or, or even parents, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a great book.
0: Great. Um, so I think, you know, most dancers think so much about their body and how it looks and how it feels and how it performs. And I know, like, even for myself, I think I wouldn't say I'm consumed by thoughts
1: yeah, about sure. that,
0: but it's a omnipresent component of my day, having yeah. been a dancer and being a female yeah. in our current culture and whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and outside of even intuitive eating, like, what is reasonable for dancers in terms of achieving a really healthy um, relationship with their food and their body that isn't loaded with all these emotional repercussions and guilt and things like that that you spoke about earlier?
1: Yeah, that's a really good, a really good uh, discussion point because, you know, sometimes I have to remind my clients that it's not their fault. They're constantly thinking about hung hung or food or or confused in general because again the masses of information you know Instagram I'm seeing a lot of uh, the opposite of body positivity accounts on Instagram uh-huh. and really promoting quote unquote clean eating which we can get to a little bit after when we talk about orthorexia uh, but you know one of the main things when it comes to dancers finding what is healthy because because it is very difficult and sometimes that road can be can i can feel never ending if Mm -hmm. it ever does end to finding that you know it's and and i like to say it's always it's a journey this is a process we are, are living in a culture where we are the the masses of information are constantly being thrown at us as to what right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. Uh, So I feel that sometimes discussing the, the body part, the body portion of it, and really explaining to dancers, the really separating body weight from health or just uh, what I what I call the thin ideal versus the healthy ideal mm-hmm. um, and, and understanding and this really goes not only for dancers but I think all women in general everyone in general is that thinness does not preface health right. and, and and we live in a society that does uh, put thin and skinny and all of these words associated with that on a pedestal as Mm -hmm. something, as something to strive for. And it's extremely, uh, incorrect for dancers and any athlete to look for this because, um, in our society, you know, we are told that body weight measures fitness, body weight measures health. And that, that is, that couldn't be any more wrong for an athlete or a dancer simply because of biology, simply because muscle weighs more than fat. So if like, I'll have these Dancers come to me and they're with this body goal of of gaining muscle, losing fat, but they want they don't want to gain weight. And I'm like, you, like those, I understand where this is all coming from, diet culture, and what you're thinking, but th- those don't align. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. I think I even read an article recently. You know, this war on obesity, and yeah. you know, while you're statistically more likely to have certain um, health issues. In obesity, that's, you know, of course, based on an average, and there are actually many, many people who are obese and have none of these metabolic health sure. risks, you know, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and that I is mean, not something we hear in mm-hmm. our culture at all. Nobody, people are very afraid to say that
1: <laughs> for yeah. some reason. Uh, definitely. Um, and, you know, it, it's a J-shaped curve in the sense that both ends of the spectrum are going to bring about metabolic disruptions Mm -hmm. the the low end of the bmi range and again bmi is an inaccurate tool
0: yeah
1: uh, simply because especially for athletes and dancers who want or have higher muscle tone it's an incorrect tool for measuring their health or their goals i don't know if that really answered your question
0: no i think it does i mean in terms of um... I think that idea that it's a road and that there maybe isn't this finite absolute of a healthy relationship to food and your body and dance, but it is a complicated and ongoing process. Sounds like what you're saying.
1: Yeah. I, you know, there, how everyone defines their end goal of having a healthy relationship with food and body. Um, Like I said, if I can give anyone some bit of framework, I always say, well, it's someone who can enjoy the quote unquote healthy foods like salads, but also be able to enjoy a chocolate chip cookie without any guilt. Uh, You know, in my opinion, that defines a healthy relationship. With, boat, with food, which then further feeds into their body image.
0: Great. Um, so let's move into what you spoke about at the the top of this episode, which was that you're seeing a lot of dancers who maybe don't meet the clinical diagnosis for an eating disorder but are still really having borderline behaviors and habits and thoughts um, mm-hmm. with food mm-hmm. that are impeding, particularly you said, their, their social um mm-hmm. lives and other components perhaps of their lives. So could you talk a little bit more about the specifics of what you see?
1: Yeah, definitely. So uh it, it with this gray area of having a that healthy, let's say, relationship with food where someone can again enjoy something that has been by society labeled bad, uh, without any guilt, right, mm-hmm. um, versus the other end of the spectrum where there is a clear diagnosed eating disorder is this gray area of what I call disordered eating behaviors. and. The main I work when I'm working with my clients, I'm also most often working with their parents as well and explaining this all to them, especially if they just have no idea about the dance world and, and everything. But the main uh, thing I like to really point out about how to uh, identify if there is some bit of disordered eating behaviors is, again, that impact in other aspects of one's life. So for example, something that I see a lot is just the anxiety, the anxiety surrounding events, whether it be a friend's birthday or it be a holiday dinner, like when we have Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever, Uh, you know, something surrounding events and the anxiety of worrying, whether it's totally impeding them on being able to attend these events, which which is definitely possible, or it is perhaps causing them to feel that they need to bring their food to these Mm -hmm. events. Um, These are all common things that I have seen and worked with. Uh, And then of course, there is also a bit of elitism in the idea of someone clean eating or eating quote unquote perfectly um, and, and wanting to be that authoritative role in in whatever one of these events are, and really coming to terms with the the unhealthy relationships that these behaviors are imposing on one's life and imposing on their ability to enjoy experiences of life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those experiences. Sorry, being uh, other having things other than to do with things other than dance because a lot of the times in the dance world or in, you know, in the athletic community, but really in the dance world is that we're seeing, you know, our love for dance. I mean, you and I have it, it's a passion, it's a passion and we will do whatever it takes to succeed in that passion. So I will see dancers not care that other aspects of their life are fallen to the waistline. Um, In all in the, all in this journey of becoming successful in in their career. So they feel that in order to do this, they have to have this quote unquote perfect diet, this clean diet. However, the consequences of these behaviors aside from the social impact is the physical and the health consequences relating to, uh, what's called relative energy deficiency in sport, which is something I see all the time, uh, Back in back in the day, when I say back in the day, this was like just five years ago. It was called the female athlete triad, which has now been uh, renamed just because we used to think it was something that happened only in female athletes. But no, it's also male athletes as as well are having consequential consequential uh, uh, impacts from whether it be just a calorie deficit in their intake or a low fat intake. So they're having a lot of hormonal disruptions related to that. So it's not just the uh, social the social impacts of the, these restrictive behaviors, but most often they're coming paired with a, a calorie deficit of some sort because of that disordered mindset between low body weight and success.
0: Right and you know this is something there there's an amazing study um, maybe somebody out there can give, launch the details but of um olympic athletes and they were asked if um if they could take a pill that would guarantee them a gold medal but the next day they would die and the mm-hmm. pill would never be detected mm-hmm. um would, would they take the pill and an alarmingly large number of athletes said Yes, I'd take that pill. Oh, my gosh. And I think it really <laughs> – oh my gosh. I know. I know. It's We have to regulate sports, drugs and sports for the safety of athletes. That's the <laughs> yeah. bottom line. But, but it's, it really speaks to that idea that when you are in an elite field that you have devoted so much of your life to, you're willing to make a lot of sacrifices. And, yeah. you know, that really can put you at a, a health risk and, 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 and in danger.
1: Yeah. So, so having said that, um, you know, it, it's so important that these younger dancers are are made aware that you don't have to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: can still get your gold medal. You can still be in a company, but have a healthier relationship with food, and and fuel yourself properly. And actually, the bottom line is that you're probably going to have a longer, more sustainable career if you just start fueling yourself properly now because because the whole the whole concept of, of low calorie intake and weight loss and low body weights is just metabolically not correct
0: it's not it's, sustainable
1: <laughs> it's not sustainable and it's not correct i yeah. mean you will we you will lose weight on a low calorie diet but that's only going to be met down the road with a low metabolism which is right. going to further be met down the road with weight gain so so the whole idea of diet culture um, and this is kind of where I want to segue into the impact of diet culture in the dance world is that, you know, dancers, and I'm also this, you talking about the Olympic athletes kind of just reminded me about this, but, you know, dancers, we are passionate. We have a passion to really perfect an imperfect art form. I mm-hmm. mean, we are standing at the bar every day doing the same simple exercises, <laughs> right? Only <laughs> for how many years? Only to strive for this unattainable perfection, okay? So now when we, when we place this uh, perfectionism personality, when we place that now and with those goals on our body, And our food intake is where we start to see a lot of problems and a lot of disordered behaviors because the information out there is incorrect. And they're attaining this information from their Instagram feeds or Google or whatever. Their information is incorrect in the sense that they're being told what diet culture tells us, which is low calorie diets are healthy and uh, fat is bad or fat is unhealthy um so or carbohydrates are unhealthy so all of these common diet culture messages are now being imposed on dancers who have such a high vulnerability to perfectionism mm-hmm. that they're that they're taking they're taking these messages to the extreme and it's truly detrimental to their long-term success of what they of what they eventually want to accomplish with their careers
0: yeah i mean and these you know, to be clear, diet behavior does um, predict eating disorder, right? Or yeah. it's not to say that if you engage in diets, you're guaranteed to get an eating right. disorder, but it is a strong predictor. Right. And um, mm-hmm. Dr. Elizabeth Morey, who we spoke to at the beginning of this week, talked about how eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of all <laughs> mental illness. So um, it's it's not um, it's not a casual... Uh, flirtation that's going on—that we really need to think about these things quite seriously.
1: Yes, and and again, what's so. Scary is the surge of disordered eating behaviors in our society and with younger dancers right now because of the access to just social media and and the incorrect information that they're that they're being given. So I really think that this rise of undiagnosed eating disorders, or we, we you wanted to talk about orthorexia because yeah. that's a that's a perfect example, um, is just when I could just say you know orthorexia is the obsession of healthy eating um, and it's not a technically coined i'm sorry it's not a technically a technically diagnosed eating disorder simply because it's so difficult to diagnose it yeah. where do we define healthy eating when it becomes too obsessive and this is what i was trying to talk about in the article that i just wrote you know helping dancers or their parents or dance educators better know how to identify when eating too healthy is becoming disordered um, and and being able to practically ask themselves are my habits impeding other aspects of my life I and reminding themselves that I can be a professional dancer and not have to restrict again other everything aspects that I of, eat yeah everything that I eat and other aspects of my life
0: and when I looked at your article um, I think in addition to this idea of your outside life being impacted is also the rigidity. That was something that kept emerging and that, again, Dr. Elizabeth Moore spoke about, which is this, um, it's one thing to want to eat healthfully most of the time and to be aware. It's another thing to be so rigid that even at a birthday party for your best friend, you can't indulge them in the enjoyment of their birthday cake.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, and and if you do, not being, not having that guilt, not mm-hmm. having that underwriting guilt, yeah. uh, not thinking that what you did was wrong, or what you did is bad, or what you did is going to impede on the success of you being a professional dancer.
0: Great, um, and what about? is that is orthorexia I've also seen definitions where it's it is related or is not related to the elimination of entire food groups which we definitely need to speak about so um not when I was in graduate school I went out to lunch with some people I think there were about I don't know 12 of us and I think at least 10 people if not everyone at the table had some food that they couldn't eat and I was included because I can't eat crustaceans oddly enough shrimps and lobsters Uh Uh (laughs) but you know either because of allergies or because they felt like they didn't agree with them or they had an intolerance so what about this current trend of eliminating entire food groups whether it's dairy or animal products or carbs or gluten um is this a yellow flag or is this a legitimate lifestyle choice or is it both and how can we know (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's both. You know what, to be fair, it is both because if someone has, again, a diagnosed intolerance or allergy, then they have to avoid the food. That makes a lot of sense. Um, But it's also feeding into, again, this this incorrect information out there about what foods are unhealthy, what foods are promoting excessive inflammation, uh, you know, the The science for most of these is extremely limited. For, for most of these restrictions, is extremely limited. So, for example, the gluten and dairy is is just a high, is very common to be uh, to be restricted. Now, there's there is definite possibility that we can develop gluten and. Dairy-related intolerances as we age—that's definitely possible, and it's important for someone who feels that way to try an elimination diet. But it's also extremely important to know that the textbook definition of any elimination diet is temporary. It's a temporary diet just to to see if there are potential um, benefits.
0: Uh, or yeah,
1: yeah, your irritants or benefits. Um, but again, you know, it's just a, it's it's t- diet culture just spinning out uh insane regimens i i'm thinking right now of it's not necessarily restriction but it's the celery juice cleanse uh-huh. which is <laughs> oh my gosh which is um you know w- usually a lot of these or even just the keto diet is it is another yeah. good example which represents whole 30
0: extra- or yeah
1: oh whole, whole 30 perfect yeah um Whole30 keto represents an extremely high fat diet. And again, the science behind most of this is is extremely limited. Um, it's either not there, like the celery juice diet. I mean, that is just completely based on anecdotal evidence, which basically just means that someone who experienced feeling better, which between you and me was just likely related to the fact that they were hydrating more. Yeah. Um, and it had nothing to do with the celery juice, <laughs> but but unfortunately these trends turn into billion dollar industries that do a really good job with marketing. So, so that's kind of where we, where we see the the middle ground. If it's a gluten or dairy intolerance, I can see that potential potentially being plausible if, if they truly been diagnosed with that. Um, but if not, there's absolutely no reason why anyone should have to avoid any of these specific foods. I definitely, and I'm, I know you're going to get into this, um, elsewhere, but I definitely know that there are major benefits to incorporating more minimally processed, minimally processed plant-based foods into one's diet. And I work a lot with this, with the clients that I, that I work with, um, there's, a, there's a host of benefits to that. But again, we just have to be careful in the dance world because you're, you're dealing with people who again, have this vulnerability to perfectionism mm-hmm. and 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 just to keep reminding that it's the the patterns have to be flexible.
0: Yeah, um, just going back to the the allergies and things like that. Um, I think you know I also always say like in the '90s everyone was on a diet. You know the '80s yeah. and '90s. Everybody nowadays you'll never hear anybody say they're on a diet. Nobody's on a diet. I mean, no, some people. I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't say they're on a diet. They just simply don't eat things. You know, it's it's a lifestyle yeah. choice. And we've been told that it's yeah. – we've been told – we were told at the end of the 90s it's not healthy to diet and yo-yo dieting and how risky right. it is. And we were right. told it's better just to, you know, try to live a healthy lifestyle. Right. And again, it's right. like you've said, like these per- perfectionistic, high-achieving personality types then take that so right. far. <laughs> and – you know, medical allergies and the, they're very hard to die, you know, they, they really need to be diagnosed <laughs> and Yeah, yeah, by course, a medical doctor. Yeah, and most medical doctors that I've talked to you know, they always say like it's just not that common in adults and and then I hear I hear dancers who are really into eliminating food groups and maybe orthorexic then sort of discrediting the whole medical industry. Because yes, of that. So... You know, like well they just don't understand. They're just not looking, you know, did
1: it... Yeah. And yeah. that's or, also or like that... concerning. It it's definitely concerning because um I I can definitely I know that. I mean it, it's difficult in the sense that because a lot of medical associations, even I know as a dietitian, like mm-hmm. our Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, a lot of we, a lot of the research that a lot of these associations are doing while they're amazing at, at broadening our scientific landscape. um, A lot of them are funded. So, so this is also, you know, just, just to play a little devil's advocate and to be in defense of those people that you were talking about, it's, it, there is a very difficult line because a lot of there's a lot of industry funded Uh, evidence out there that's either pointing away from gluten
0: or toward away from sugar or towards sugar away from fat towards
1: exactly (laughs) exactly um so that's where it gets really difficult even just as a clinician to when it comes to giving advice um and that's also where it's very individual and where again focusing on as much as you can a minimally processed plant-based, I like to say, just keep it simple, Mm -hmm, you know, keep mm -hmm. it, keep it simple. There's a lot of, there's a lot of food out there. There's a lot of new and up and coming, for example, to go back to celery juice, up and coming ideas out there that just don't have enough evidence behind them or enough time behind them for me to be convinced that this is going to solve all my ailments. So, so really just keeping things simple, uh, you know, and another example is the agave trend. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> Sweet, sugar, sugar, four grams of sugar for anything, it doesn't really matter, right?
1: Yeah, you know, which gets really difficult. Like, yes, high fructose corn syrup has been shown to uh, promote inflammation in the body, and I usually am highly recommending that my clients avoid foods with high fructose corn syrup in it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that being said, even that information, I some or that those recommendations sometimes have to be uh
0: modulated for those modulated yeah
1: modulated again because sometimes this is where a healthy diet is actually to give you uh another definition of it a healthy diet really has to encompass the emotional the mental and the physical aspects of life because you know if someone has a memory a, a nostalgic memory of eating chips Ahoy white cookies when they were younger and chips cookies let's say they have high um high uh, high frequency corn syrup in it or famous Amos I think does. Um I don't want them to, to feel that they can't enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that I don't know if that really makes sense. But no, it it's just really just, yeah. really just a, a matter of modulating a lot of these um extremes. Yeah. You know, again the diet diet world is is two extreme situations between the extreme restrictions and saying to yourself, I'm never gonna eat these foods um versus again that intuitive mindset and really coming to terms with finding a middle ground of both.
0: Um you mentioned earlier this elitism and I want to talk you, you, we touched on cleanses um yeah. And I want to talk on talk about that term cleanse because mm. you know you hear wow. these phrases like Clean eating, or you know, Based toxic out. food, or yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and so, was, like, mm-hmm. what what is this this fixation, this um, cleanliness anxiety, almost? Yeah. You know, and yeah. and and I do experience a lot of students have more sort of OCD tendencies, and yeah, um, maybe not OCD, but obsessive tendencies towards yeah. cleanliness. And what do you think's going on there besides you know the impact of Lysol on our culture? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I mean, listen, I think at the end of the day, these words sell and diet culture, food companies, they know what consumers want to see. I'm not going to veer off too much here, but it's the same thing with high, the the whole high protein, low calorie label. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, once that's plastered, or I'm sorry, the organic label, if that's yeah. plastered onto the front, then they can charge more. Um, but just to get back to this idea of cleansing, of being clean, I mean, at the end of the day, again, scientifically, bi- biologically, our body is so much smarter than us. And it's so much smarter than diet culture. We know our body knows how to cleanse. That's what the kidneys are for. Exactly. I'm sorry. That's what the, the liver is and for. And the kidneys. Our kidneys. Right? Yeah. And the kidneys, yes. And our skin. We're yeah. sweating. All of these our natural detoxification organs. Um, so any type of juice cleanse, celery juice cleanse, whatever, any type of cleanse or a quote-unquote clean eating mindset is is wrong it doesn't make sense it's not necessary and it's again uh provides like i said that 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 bit of elitism like oh well, i don't eat that because i i'm i'm, I'm a clean eater or mm-hmm. it's just um it it's it's an unhealthy mindset
0: yeah it's it cleanses have always struck me as being sort of um temporary explorations of disordered eating,
1: you yes, know, so- yeah. a
0: socially acceptable way to be anorexic for a period of time.
1: Well, oh, well, there's a lot of, it's interesting that you say that, but I think a lot of, uh, a lot of diet culture has made eating disorders socially acceptable, yeah. um, which again, just goes into another reason of why we're not seeing of why we may not be seeing official diagnoses of eating disorders because of that unfortunate immunity that some of these behaviors have developed in our our society.
0: Yeah, yeah, sort of Um, blind spots in our society, yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, I just wanted to tell you this story, which to me is... I don't know whether to think if this is sad or just scary. Um, I actually just did a little workshop in a, for seven-year-olds the other day um, in a kindergarten. And the first thing I asked them, I was like, you know, how do you define healthy? I thought it was, I would love to hear their perspective from a kindergartner. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, most of them said, Things that are low calorie, things that are low fat, things that are, don't have too much sugar, fruit, fruit is healthy. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, that, that's scary to me because that's just, again, diet culture feeding into younger and younger populations and the work that it's going to take to untangle all of this, uh, is, I know us dietitians are going to be like well employed.
0: You're going to be well employed for a long time. <laughs> <Rachel>. <laughs> I, Sadly. I
1: definitely, and, and I speak about this a lot with my other dietitian friends. I mean, you know, it's like an uphill battle of uh, most dietitians these days, not all, but most have this all foods fit type of approach. Uh, this really individualized all foods fit so that we can just educate about, um, you know, a healthy mindset and a healthy relationship around food. And, you know, with my practice, I started my practice with the purpose of wanting to optimize dancers' performance. And I've come to learn that it's so much more than that. Yes, I want to help them optimize their performance and fuel for for dance. But I also want them to realize that nutrition plays so much more of a role than just that physical aspect there's also an emotional and a mental aspect here
0: cultural social yeah absolutely yeah
1: cultural I want you know food is enjoyable yeah food has always been a cultural aspect in our world in our culture and uh it's important to keep that going and to not make it something that we fear
0: stigmatize yeah. yeah um so dancers who are listening you know they may have either um discredited us by now because they (laughs) love their cleanse or (laughs) they might be they might be listening and thinking wow I I have a lot of these um challenges and maybe I should work with somebody to you know develop a less stressful relationship with food and my body um what what advice would you give where can people go um what's the next step for somebody feeling that way
1: yeah, I definitely think reaching out to a professional, a reg, a licensed registered dietitian, or a psychologist, or a food a food psychologist, uh, um, food psychotherapist can help. Um, I I wanted to also mention. I think you mentioned it before, but sometimes a lot of these are perhaps not within reach. I don't know if you have, if you have a younger audience following, but. That's why I created my course, because I wanted to make just an easily attainable option that someone could just go online and take this like six week self study type of course to really just not only learn about the fundamentals of food and nutrition, but to really learn that there's so much more to nutrition, again, than than just that physical optimization of their sport. But um, also the National Eating Disorder Association is another great resource that someone can turn to if they really feel that that their behaviors around food and their body are truly impeding their ability to enjoy other aspects of life.
0: Great. What, what's the name of your course, which is, um, again, a six-week online training program that's geared towards helping dancers rebuild their relationship to food and their bodies? What's the, what's the name of it?
1: It's called The Healthy Dancer, and it can be accessed at dancenutrition.com.
0: Great. Um, Thank you so much, Rachel, um, for speaking with us today about this sort of um, vague, but or maybe not vague, but uh, gray area of eating disorders. yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely the gray area. And there's a lot always emerging. And it's also very difficult because it's hard to truly identify and diagnose because I'm, you know, there again. There's just so much information about what's right and what's wrong out there. So, it, it's a very difficult area to conquer. But we're trying.
0: <laughs> we are, yeah. And um, up next we have another registered dietitian who's going to talk a little bit more about um, media literacy with. Um, regard to dancers and nutrition, so um, listeners look forward to that on our next episode. And this, our focus on eating disorder for National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of DanceWell Podcast. Like what you hear, go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search DanceWell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about our podcast by visiting www.dancewellpodcast.com. We wouldn't be where we are without generous contributions from our listeners. Your contributions help pay for our SoundCloud membership website fees and upgrades and our recording technology. If you would like to make a contribution to DanceWell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Bye.